Welcome to the Westside Personalized Podcast, where real educators share their classroom-tested, learner-approved personalization practices. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion and are able to find a few valuable takeaways from the podcast. And so without further ado, let's go to the pod! Alright, the Westside Personalized Podcast is at Westside High School today, and I'm excited to get a chance to speak with my buddy Greg Wooden here about personalized learning. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of conversations really on the podcast on our website about uh, music in any capacity, and so I'm really looking forward to kind of hearing your uh, insights and experiences as it pertains to personalized learning in your particular content area. So first of all, Greg, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting a chance to chat here a little bit today. So for people that don't know you, can you kind of share a little bit about uh, kind of your history in education and uh, kind of the role in which you serve students at Westside? Yeah. So uh, I went to school up at Luther College up in Northeast Iowa, um, a place called Luther College. It's actually really um, well known for their music program. So uh, went up there um, for four and a half years and then uh, got my first teaching job at Adel DeSoto Minburn High School just outside of Des Moines. Small school, only about 450 kids in the high school. It was a combined 6 through 12 building, so I did 6 through 12 vocal music, assisted with the middle school, did the 7th and 8th grade bass clef chorus, and then also did all of the high school choral activities um, and oversaw the rest of the choral program. So smaller scale, smaller school, but definitely not near the sizes west side. Okay. So, okay. um, and what a gig too, though, to have like six through 12 and all the preps and courses. I mean, that's, yeah, it's gotta be a lot. Yeah. And what I liked about it was that, uh, I had a lot more control over the program. I knew, and, and because it was so small, our, we only had five full-time uh, music teachers, including band, vocal, general, we didn't have an orchestra, just band and vocals. But because we were such a small tight knit group, we, it was really easy to create a, common language and a curriculum K through 12 obviously you have to compromise with one another because you all have different philosophies on what you want out of your classes and band is very different from choir even though a lot of people see them as the same thing they're they're very different with their own language with their own needs and so uh, finding that common ground was was tough at times but also uh, a lot easier when you're working in a small district so but I loved having that control and knowing exactly where our kids were coming from the middle school into high school because I was the one teaching them it. So that was that was really nice. So our kids came in prepared, and I, it was easy for us to track their progress. So we had a comprehensive portfolio, essentially, for every single kid, kindergarten wow, through 12th impressive. grade. It was, it was absolutely insane. It was some of the most data-driven work I've ever done in my life, and I've, I never thought I would be a data-driven person until I got that job and realized how important the data was and how helpful it actually was for our kids making progress because the kids pre- loved seeing that progress. Okay, so I'm going to press into that then for a second and say like, so what what things did you record that made that such a valuable piece? So, so when you say data, like that, you know, people kind of think a lot of different things. So we actually had two different units that we really focused on and it was sight singing, sight reading, so a huge literacy piece. So when a kid sees a piece of music, they're able to see a time signature and perform that rhythm. And then eventually we would progress them into reading melodies and reading pitch. So, and when it comes to reading pitch, you're also reading rhythms and that stuff. So we started with, with rhythms and then we got them into reading, reading melodies as well on a staff. 
And it was at times really, really time consuming work. But at the same time, the kids saw the progress they were making and it was measurable. And so that gave them something to be motivated to to do because we had we didn't test them based on grade. We tested them based on ability level. So we could have had a junior in choir testing the same level as a freshman in band. And that's one benefit that we had at that school is that we had a choir that was freshmen through seniors. So we got to really, really monitor that progress and they could see that progress. And But with that said, you know, you might have a freshman kid who is just as good musically and reads music just as well as a junior or senior, mm-hmm. or even sometimes some middle schoolers that were just as good as some seniors and vice versa. We had some kids that just took a lot longer to get through and might have stayed on the same assessment seven through nine. But then the minute they got to that that level two assessment, they were like, yes, I'm moving up. Yeah, and they sort of flew. Oh, and they love it, and they love it. And they move up to that next one, and they start making quicker progress because they feel like they're actually feeling a little more successful. And it, gives awesome. them, it gave them something to work toward and rather than just the performance. Well, and that – so, I mean, that's in a different district, right? And that's prior yeah. to any – like, that is very much a personalized process, right? Where you're going to, like, yeah. set your own goals. We're going to cater it to the individual. We have different assessments depending upon where you're at. Uh, and so it sounds like this is kind of – a little bit old hat or at least some common practice for you on some level before you even got to Westside. It really was. And that's one thing that we we talk about even here at Westside and then also when I was teaching ADM. We were trying to find ways that we could personalize learning and individualization was the big word several years back. Individualization, how do you make a group class individualized? And, you know, personalized learning is, I think, just another way of saying the individualization Mm -hmm. piece and making sure that we're catering the learning to each kid. And I think we benefit in the fact that we get 9 through 12. You know, we aren't English 9. We aren't English 10. where yeah. Everyone's expected to be at the same level, even though some of those kids probably are reading either at college level and better than some adults <laughs> sure. or the other end of that spectrum. So we had the benefit that the data just looked different for us. So we were able to, we were able to really be specific with that. However, because we worked in a big group setting, we were trying to find ways that we could individualize it, and we found that working rhythms and working sight reading things were very much individual. And because we were able to do small group or individual lessons during the school day, we would pull kids out during their classes for 15 to 20 minutes, so for half of a period. Down there, we had 48-minute periods, eight periods a day, so I'd do a 20-minute lesson with a kid and send them back to class, and it was a small building, so it took him no time at all to get to and from. So we were able to work with each individualized student, and I was able to break them up into those small groups during their lessons based on their abilities, so that way I didn't have a kid that was on level one and level seven in the same small group, so that way it was worth every kid's time. So we were really able to individualize for each kid, and I've been trying to come up with ways for years on how to individualize choir more from a performance perspective and from a big group perspective, but it's it's just really tough because we are performance-based, yeah. and we got to put together a product within a couple of months, and it's got to sound good. Mm-hmm. And we don't have the benefit here at Westside because we have so many kids in our program. There's about 400 kids and only two of us trying to get every single kid in during the week would just be the most overwhelming thing. Oh, right, because you have enough other, yeah, there's other things going on, too, besides mm-hmm. just, like, you know, obviously the time that you're in front of the students, you know, right. teaching a class. You know, we've got eight, nine different preps, so it's just, 
it, it'd just be too wild. And with modular scheduling, it makes it even that much more difficult. Mm -hmm. And so personalizing learning, and we're kind of getting to that right now, actually, for our K-12 through music department. When I came to Westside, I really noticed that as a K-12 through music department, we had a lot of work to do on being a, little, a lot more collaborative and... Um, kind of like scope and sequence almost. scope and sequencing yeah k through 12 vocal orchestral and band we needed to make sure that we were finding a common language and we we're collaborating with one another so that way when the kids went from building to building especially because we have more buildings and they're coming from different places we want to make sure that we all know exactly where they're coming from when they come to us and we know yep we talked to each other about this and we've worked in these groups so i know exactly what i'm getting from Nick Germanstown at the middle school. Mm -hmm. By the time I get him as freshman, I go, "Yep, this is what you worked on with Mr. D," and I know it because we've talked about it. Yeah. So, well, so we had a lot more work to do with that, and we're figuring that out, and so we're trying to get a little bit more into the data. And our big focus right now is on rhythm, just because we have so many kids, it's tough to get too many units all at once without being completely bogged down by the paperwork. So, yeah, we're starting. We're starting small, which is working rhythm and gathering data on those sorts of things, but also a score orientation. So when a kid looks at a score, do they know what they're looking at? Because there's a lot to look at on a score. There are lots of musicianship symbols. They have to understand how time signatures work, what clef they're supposed to sing on, and where that might fit in their voice. And then on top of that, they need to know how to read those rhythms. And then does the pitch go up, does it go down, and how far? Mm -hmm. So there's a bunch to just dissect in a score. So we're kind of working on asking the kids, what does this symbol mean? What does this time signature mean? And just really getting back down to the basics to make sure that the kids are on the same page. And something that you kind of brought up earlier, too, that just kind of made me think about, because I don't know, the role I kind of play on the podcast sometimes is to say, yes, we're talking about this in music, or yes, we're talking about this in swimming, or yes, we're talking about this in kindergarten, but like, what are some of those um, like takeaways that sort of go across any and all content areas? And just as you're talking there uh, about the students that you're working with previously in, in the district that you were in before, I feel like engagement is definitely going to go up when you make things measurable, right, in terms of your own progress. And so actually the conversation, I was a little late to sitting down to have this podcast, mm -hmm. <laughs> like about five, five minutes. And the teacher I was talking to actually comes to me and said, hey, we're trying to do some personal stuff in class, but have a really tough time keeping students driven when there are, uh, you know, you have eight class periods to get something done. People are waiting to the end. <laughs> and so like what can you do to increase the day-to-day -day engagement? Uh, and it really came down to, hey, let's let's start by setting some SMART goals and make it measurable for the day, for this you know 35-minute window of time or this 80-minute window of time, wherever your case may be in your context. And then afterwards reflecting on that uh, and just saying like, hey, because we all struggle with chasing after long-term goals <laughs> unless we kind of put those daily supports in place. And it sounds like for you guys to, to break things down like that, uh, to make it measurable is great. Uh, in addition to that, too, whenever a student just feels like you recognize them as an individual, and if that's pulling them out of class or just get a chance to like you know speak with them in any capacity, one on one, and in a high school where there's 1,800 students like there is here, I think sometimes we feel I felt like as an educator in this building, yeah, I mean I try to get to know them, I shake their hand at the door, and I talk to everybody every day, and I just don't know if that's enough. But from the kids' perspective, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so it's awesome that you guys were, you know, uh, pulling them out individually to have those conversations and what that does to drive their investment, uh, I think is also really great. And so uh, with individualization, we, we talk with personalized learning that oftentimes it just becomes about pace. We almost right. make those two terms synonymous where mm -hmm. how can I give you the ability to move it through this process 
when and where you need to uh, understanding that we have to move, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? We can't just be stuck for four years right. in one spot. Uh, but to be sensitive to that, and so it's cool to hear that your prior experience was to say, well, hey, maybe it was a little sluggish until we hit this point, and all of a sudden, you know, and, mm-hmm. and but this student has the flexibility within your structure right. uh, to do that. So all those things are great. All those things are awesome processes, I think, to to consider. Uh, and I definitely don't envy the challenge of being one of two teachers working with 400 students, but I know you do a great job with it. Um, you know, I've heard from several of our colleagues and stuff as well. And so last year you came through kind of personalized learning training day that we get as a PD experience here in the district. And uh, it's one of those things where sometimes people go through those and they visit with us and we collaborate and we kind of co-design or build out this personalized learning practice. But I know for you, you just kind of heard enough that day to go, oh, I see where this fits in what I'm doing, uh, and went back and created some of the stuff that you that you implemented. That just excited for you to share a little bit about. So, uh, do you want to maybe start by just sort of saying what aspect of that PD experience sort of tripped your brain to think, oh yeah, this particular aspect of this class, and this is where I'd like to come back and start from. Yeah. So I've actually been teaching music theories since uh, I taught the AP music theory class at ADM, but they had to pass a test just to get into it. Um, so they came in with a, an expectation that they were already at a spot. And um, most of these kids were going into music ed, music performance, or some sort of music major. And so they came in with a basic understanding of how things worked. Whereas here at Westside, the music theory class that I teach, they have to be able to, we don't do a test in, it's more of like a teacher recommendation. And so if they've never taken a music class or if they don't take, if they, if they've never taken a music class or they're not in one um, right now, whether it's band choir or orchestra or play, if they don't play an instrument or anything like that, generally we kind of try to steer them away from music theory because the theory of music is very much the science of music and in the, in the language of music. So music is very much a cross-curricular thing because there's physics involved when you're talking about the octave identification series and then there's also a, a language involved because you can start saying things like what is the dominant seventh of the one chord in F major and some people would be like what you have to be able to speak the language however with that said a kid might be able to play an instrument but have no idea how to read the music we've got some really talented pianists and guitar players who just are amazing by learning from their ear so when it comes to putting it on paper they struggle mm-hmm. and the music theory classes open just one semester uh, ninth through 12th graders for instance last year I had a 12th grader who could not figure out key signatures to save their life but had a freshman who have, who has been playing piano for her entire life and was able to get through the key signatures in a day I mean it took her no time because she's been doing this She's mm-hmm. taking music theory because she has to take it. It's a prereq to get into AP music theory the next year. So she's in this class. And so this freshman girl is at a completely different level than this senior girl. And sometimes those roles are reversed. Sometimes the senior girl or senior person is like just crushing, amazing, it. crushing it, ready for college, ready to take on that next step. And, the, and this freshman who loves music but has no idea how to theorize it and is willing to put in the work just has no clue. So... With music, you what this sort of reminds me of too. I've been working a little bit with uh, world languages, mm-hmm. and that there are some native speakers or people who have native speakers in their family who can listen to a conversation, let's say in Spanish, 
uh, and get it 100% makes sense to them and they can then respond in English but you ask them to actually write in Spanish oh, forget it yeah read so or write it that's yeah. interesting sometimes I guess the way in which something hits your ear is different in the way in which mm -hmm. you like are able to produce that on paper or through different mediums yeah I very much liken the learning of music theory to learning a new language mm -hmm. it is absolutely a world language and because music is universal just as a language like is dialogue yeah yeah just as a dialogue so when I came to the personalized learning stuff last year, I was trying to think of ways to put it in choir, and I was trying to come up with all these ways, and I was like, no, that's not going to work in choir. No, I could do that, but it just won't work. But for music theory, because I'm able to implement technology every day, and because we have a little more fluid classroom space um, and less kids, really, we only have probably about 15 to 20 kids take music theory, I'm able to do a little bit more. And because music theory is based more around content, um, content knowledge written and oral work uh, it's a lot like a math class as well so like I said we have kids that come in just at all different kinds of abilities so I came up with this idea last year where some kids learn really really well by listening some kids learn really really well by actually physically playing the piano because the piano is an essential instrument for learning music theory if you don't know piano if you don't learn it if you don't even learn basic piano you don't have to learn scales or be you know I'm not asking you to be Mozart, but I'm asking you to like at least know where what notes there are on the piano and what notes, and just how it works, because it translates immediately to the to the staff on the page, and in theory is all based around the grand staff, which is right and left hand of the piano. So some kids really understand it when they're able to physically touch the piano. Mm -hmm. Some kids are able to learn it just by reading it and looking at a staff, and then some kids need to just write it out first and then play it and then hear it so I made this fluid classroom idea where everyone's gonna start at a different place so I'm, I do a pretest mm -hmm. I do a pre-assessment at the beginning of the year with all of the stuff that they're expected to learn in music theory that semester and depending on what they know and what they don't know I'm gonna start them in a different packet essentially a different yep. worksheet a different unit and the very first week is always the toughest week, just getting them rolling and getting them all started with those basic things. But once they start getting this rotation of learning, it, it just flies by and some kids go through it really quickly. So I have a little corner where I kind of stand and it's, and it's guided discussion where I'm actually in front of them teaching them the content. So this means they are new to this unit, this is new information to them, or at least it's information that they need more help with. Sure. So I'm up at the board and I'm showing them exactly what I, showing them the content. From there, once they feel like they understand it, I have worksheets for them within that packet that they can go and work on their own and they can, there's either a work alone space, because some people work really well, or there's a work together space. So I don't necessarily think of it as cheating as long as they're discussing with one another on how it actually works. Yeah. And so as long as they're having group discussion on on that, some people need that. So essentially it's tutoring happening in class. Mm -hmm. And then from there, those kids can move fluidly between the group and solo work and go to the pianos and the marimbas. And we'll actually have a few more keyboards that'll be set up in here this year because we've got some extra spaces they can also go into the practice rooms to play through the written music theory stuff and then once they're done they go onto the site called teoria.com that have a bunch of uh, formative quizzes formative tests that they, they can go on and they have to show me that they can pass those tests and quizzes with 80 percent proficiency 
and above. That shows me that they are ready to test. Mm -hmm. So by the time I give them the actual summative exam, they know it. And I'm expecting them to get 80 to 100%. So I'm basically setting it up so they can't fail. It doesn't always happen that way because I might ask the question a little different than that teoria.com exercise goes. But it's all still very much in the way that I give them the worksheets. It's not questions. I'm not forming the questions differently than they than they've been previewing and reviewing or even in how I discuss it. So by the time they get to that assessment, they're ready. Not to mention it's a self-reflection piece when they go and do that on their own. So they're, they're assessing themselves. I'm not giving them the formative assessment. So they're reflecting on that. And if they ever have questions in this space, they can come and talk to me or they can go back to that group discussion and say, I'm, I'm getting 60 to 70%. I cannot figure out this one part. Can you help me with this? So they can go, they can be fluid there. Mm -hmm. And then once they're done with that unit, they come back to guided discussion and I give them a new packet. So it's this constant rotation and they are required to know how to play the piano because during some of their assessments, they have to show me that they can play it. They can do that. Yeah. Gosh, it's fantastic. I, you know, it kind of just hits upon a lot of things that we talk about. Sometimes we have educators that will say to us, well, what are you telling us to do? Are you telling us to personalize things or are you telling us to do, you know, because we're still being asked to lead lectures and we have large group and at the elementary, we have, you know, I have similar kind of core response, whole class things. And we try to say it's and, right? Right. <laughs> like there's no, personalized learning is not a magic bullet to education <laughs> and nothing is. But it's just the well-roundedness of that. And so still having the opportunity in smaller groups that probably than the whole class to be able to lead those conversations and give a little bit of a lecture to make sure everybody's on the same page with new content they're being exposed to is great. And then to provide the choices that you do with uh, the process by which they go about learning things, right? Do you learn best, as you said, by playing you know, something out on the keys or reading it or writing it or whatever the case may be. And then to also have a choice. I love how flexible this learning space is both in terms of group dynamics, you want to work by yourself, you want to collaborate with other people. And that at any point in time, it's not a station rotation where you're locked into where you're at uh, to be able to like bounce group to group and double back, you know, to support those holes in your understanding at any point in the process. That's awesome. Uh, and so what would you say, as we kind of would draw this conversation a little bit to close in the interest of time, because I know you got class coming up here, uh, what were some of the big takeaways that, because you implemented this in the spring. Mm hmm uh, right now we're kind of closing out the fall semester here. And so as you're looking to the spring, maybe kind of two parts of this question. One, what were some of the big takes that were good things from that? And then two, uh, what do you, do you have any revision points that you're considering as you approach that again, this next go around? So something that I really liked is that I would walk into class and the kids would just pick up where they left off the day before. I didn't walk in and say, okay, here's what we're learning today. Mm -hmm. They would walk in and they would know exactly where they needed to start and they would just automatically start going to these stations. Um, I, I love that. That happened in the English class too where I had one student give me a piece of feedback and she said, what I love about this class and the style of you know, personalized learning is that I come to class and I know what I want to get done before I – like I'm thinking about it in the hallway when I'm walking there. And the kids that – especially the ones that excel and are like ready to keep moving through and excited to learn about that stuff. They love not being like bogged down by the kids that need more time. And the kids that need more time love it because they come in and they know that they're going to get the help that they need. Mm -hmm. And it's, and they don't feel like they're being left behind. Sure. And, but they also don't feel embarrassed because it's not like anybody really knows where everybody's at, but they can get the help that they really need. And so kids are actually asking more questions. They're more excited to come in and get things done because they don't have to worry about anybody else's pace but their own.
Yeah. So it's great. Pretty cool. Is there any sort of revamps you're looking at as you like double back to this or just felt good about it? And I need to make sure that because the kids love to get bogged down by playing through things. Yeah. And they love to get distracted by just playing the piano rather than just getting the work done. So I have to find a way to limit their time on the on the instruments in class. And some of the kids like to bogart the instruments <laughs> and, and a kid might come over and say, I really need to use this and and they'll say, Well, I'm I'm finishing up this thing and it's like, Well, you've already been there for twenty minutes. Yeah. Go figure yeah. it out somewhere else. So I gotta figure I gotta figure out that piece. But also, since I didn't start this till about halfway through, I wasn't necessarily aware of how I'm going to start this in the spring. So the pretest is obviously the number one thing. But if I have a kid that's just that very first week, like I said, I'm I'm worried about that guided discussion because everyone's going to need that guided discussion, but I'm going to be in eight different places more than likely mm-hmm. for these kids to start off with. So I'm trying to think of how I can do this. And I've kind of been debating about the kids that are just ahead. There are usually only about four, maybe three kids that are just head and heels above everybody. What I was hoping to do is to take those three kids and kind of bring them in and say, hey, you're going to help me teach this class up until these kids get to the same level yeah. you're at. So then they're the ones leading the guided discussion, and they're back here kind of teaching. So they can be guiding discussion over here while I'm guiding discussion here. Or, and then another kid can take them in guide discussion in one of the practice rooms. So that way we're able to kind of do sectionals and break up and teach yeah. that. I got better at music theory because I was like a B- minus in music theory mm-hmm. in college. I was not that good. But I, came, I became better at theory when I started teaching it, when I had to really dive in and think about how to tell this student this concept. And I go, yeah. well, they're not understanding me this way, so I have to find a new way to say it, and I have to find a new way to work it out myself. So I started getting a deeper understanding of music theory. So if I'm having these three kids kind of help teach it, they're going to also become deeper analysts when it comes to music theory themselves and they might find a new perspective and a new way to do something that they've only done it one way before Absolutely. so so i'm i'm trying to figure out how i'm going to do that and i might just do it that way and if it doesn't work just revamp it for next spring mm-hmm. the, the spring after in 2020 and that's what's cool is that you know in education well good math is we get to have iterations so we get yeah. an opportunity to revise them Bad part of it is sometimes you have to wait a year. Yeah, I know. <laughs> to like I know. cycle back through. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I love what you put together here, uh, and I think this is a cool example of what this could potentially look like, you know, in, in your content area. And like I uh, shared earlier, though, I know we have things going on, you know, in, in the music department. I know I'm sort of lumping band and orchestra and everything in, and they're, they're different. <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, thanks for sharing that that insight and that perspective on the podcast today. And uh uh, yeah, I'd be excited to chat even more with you about all this because um, it sounds like we've got some really cool things going on. So yeah. thanks for taking a little bit of time to share today. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Well, that's a wrap on another great episode. For more information or to contact us directly, you can email our team at personalized.learning at westside66.net. As always, thanks for tuning in and learning from the Westside Personalized Podcast.